0: Well, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to go to Luke 19. Uh, Luke, of course, is the third gospel in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 19. And uh, we are in the middle of a 34-week sermon series, really looking at 17 characters from the Old Testament and 17 characters from the New Testament and how God uh, blessed their lives and how God used their lives as a blessing uh, to the community and to the world. Um, And we're using this book as kind of a template, as a guide uh, for us to really think about what does it mean to be blessed, what does it mean to be gifted, and uh, how do we discover our gifts, and then how do we share our gifts with those in the world. And so I just want to put up the uh, website. There we go. Uh, How many of you have taken the uh, assessment? Okay, lots of you, lots of you. Okay, great. Doesn't take long, 10, 15 minutes or so. Uh, It's pretty easy to navigate through. It's free. Um, So I want to encourage, if you haven't already, to go ahead and take that assessment. You know, we could have called this sermon series Gifted to Give. Uh, Obviously, we're calling it Blessed to Be a Blessing. And the idea is that God has given you special gifts and uh, special blessings so that you can share those blessings with others. And the person we are going to look at today is a very familiar uh, person in the New Testament, a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, if you didn't grow up in church, if you um, didn't go to Sunday school, you probably know the story of Zacchaeus. This guy who met Jesus had a, a, a conversion experience and it changed the trajectory. Of his life. He was going this way in his life. Everything was all about Zacchaeus, all about himself. He met Jesus. He turned his life around and started following Jesus and using his gifts uh, to serve others in the world. So we're looking at the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we reflect on this very familiar story this morning, Uh, Give us open hearts, open minds, and open lives to hear your good news. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, a couple weeks ago, I was having breakfast with a group of friends, and uh, one of my friends at the table said, You know, the two most common questions that will be asked when we get to heaven are, what are you doing here? And where is so-and-so? What are you doing here? Hey, have you seen so-and-so? Where is so-and-so? And I think he's right. I think there will be lots of surprises when we get to heaven. There will be people there that will be like, whoa, what are you doing here? And I think we'll also be surprised when we get to heaven. Where is so-and-so? But I think there will be another question that will be asked when we get to heaven. Because after we ask the question, where is so-and-so, I think the next question might be, hey, did you ever share with so-and-so about Jesus? I mean, we knew he wasn't walking with Jesus. We knew she didn't know Jesus. Did you ever share with him or her about Jesus? So this morning, I just want us to kind of camp out on this idea of God has used you, invited you, God has invited me to use our gifts, to use our blessings, not for our own personal edification, but so that others might come to know him as well. And I thought it might be fun to just pass out a blank sheet of paper to everyone this morning, and just for you to think for a few, and we're not doing it, but just imagine, I handed everybody a piece of paper this morning, and I said, all right, I want you to write all the names of the people who will be in heaven because you shared your blessings with them. All the names of the people who will be in heaven, they don't have to ask that question, where is so-and-so, because you shared your blessings. You shared your gifts with them. You know, this is what it's truly about, is how we live and share our gifts with one another. On page 97 of this book, uh, Pastor Evert says this, Ultimately, this is a story about the importance and beauty of one person helping another person grow and develop. And so as we're thinking about you being that one person, who are the other people that you help to grow and develop? And I think in many ways, this is the story of Zacchaeus, a guy who encountered Jesus, had his life transformed in such a way that he helps him to grow and to develop and who God wanted Zacchaeus to be all along. So the story of Zacchaeus uh, is told in the Gospel of Luke 19. It goes this way. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. Now, what you need to know about Jericho is that it's not far from Jerusalem. It's just uh, a dozen miles from Jerusalem, and it's in in a place not far from Jerusalem that's got very temperate climate. People liked to live there because there was so much about Jericho that was warm and pleasant. I mean, think about uh, different places where you have been. It's just like, oh, it is just really good uh, to be in this place. And so the the royalty in ancient times, they would build palaces around uh, Jericho because it was just a great place to live. Swimming pools and hippodrome and all sorts of wonderful things for the the wealthy people to to be. And this is uh, what uh, this area was all about. It was the, the rich and the famous. Think of Malibu, California. Think of Palm Beach, Florida. Think of Paradise Valley, Arizona. You've maybe been to some of those places. You've seen the mansions, you've seen the palaces, you've seen the tennis courts and the, and the swimming pools, and of course, places that have wonderful climate. And so lots of rich and wealthy people live there. But Jericho was also on the trade route, an important trade route. And so lots of goods and services were passing through this area of Jericho. And since there was lots of stuff passing through, that meant also lots of opportunity to collect taxes from the people who were traveling between Egypt and some of the other towns in northern Israel. And so all these people are coming through everybody wanted to go to Jericho. And it was a great opportunity for the tax collectors to collect some money. now the text tells us that Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector but he was a chief tax collector and it was kind of a Ponzi scheme it was a pyramid scheme because what all the, the tax collectors did is they would skim off the top when they were taking money from other people to put in their own pockets and what the chief tax collector would do is he would skim off or take off uh, money from the other tax collectors and so uh, to sell Say that Zacchaeus was wealthy is a gross understatement. He was crazy rich. I mean, he was not a millionaire. He was not a billion, a multimillionaire. He was a billionaire. He was, he was kind of the echelon, the upper crust. He had crazy amounts of money, more money than what he knew what to do with, or frankly, anybody knew what to do in those days. That's who um, uh, these chief tax collectors were. And he not only had lots and lots of money, lavish amounts of money, but he also had power. Chief tax collectors, they ran with the powerful and so he would rub shoulders and he would get to know the, 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 the royalty and the people who were passing through and he would have these fine uh, dinners with the, the, the rich and the powerful of his day. And so I just kind of wanted to set the stage for you. This is who Zacchaeus was, uh, verse 3. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. I want to pause here for just a moment, just kind of acknowledge a couple different things. Number one, remember how wealthy, how ridiculously wealthy and powerful Zacchaeus was. So I think the obvious wondering or question we have to ask is how is it possible that somebody could have so much money, that could have so much power, they could be in affluence and have everything that the world offers and yet there's something empty inside of him. That Zacchaeus was like, ah, I'm not happy. And he hears that Jesus is coming to to town. And he does something pretty ridiculous. And again, this story is so familiar to us. I think we um, miss how ridiculous this is. He climbs up in a tree so that he can see Jesus coming through. Now, this is absurd that he would do this. Somebody so wealthy and someone so powerful coming to... He wants to just... is curious and wants to see this religious guy coming through town. This would be like Elon Musk checking his ego at the door because no self-respecting adult climbs up a tree. Elon Musk climbs up a tree because he hears Rick Warren is coming to town and is going to preach. I mean, that's kind of what's going on in the story here. And on the one hand, you, you know, the people who were there like, that's crazy. This is silly. This is ridiculous. But at the same time, there were also people going, that's pathetic. You got to feel sorry for a guy like that who's got everything by worldly standards. And yet he's still empty on the inside and he's looking for something more. I think we can't help but just kind of state the obvious. Clearly, he's looking for something more. We might even say that his heart is fertile soil. He's ready to hear the message in the person of Jesus. And so there he is up in the tree, and Jesus calls up to him. Hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to go to your house. And I want to state the obvious here. Zacchaeus does not yell down to Jesus, hey, Jesus. Jesus calls out to Zacchaeus. And this is that this kind of pattern happens over and over and over throughout the Bible. Is that Jesus finds people where they are at, and he approaches them, and he reaches out to them. And this is how Jesus continues to meet us today. We must never forget that Jesus pursues us first. Jesus calls out to us first. You might be thinking that you called out to Jesus or you're looking for Jesus, but he is always the one who initiates the relationship in our lives. And the third thing that I think is a little bit peculiar is that Jesus invites himself to to Zacchaeus' house. It seems a little presumptuous. Hey, I'm coming to your house. If if after worship today I said to you, hey, I'm coming to your house today, you'd be like, uh, I got plans. But in their culture, it was a real honor to welcome anyone in, especially a prominent rabbi like Jesus. And so on that day, everyone in Jericho, as Jesus is coming through, is thinking to themselves, I hope he invites himself to my house. I hope Jesus says, I want to come and spend time with you. That's how their culture worked. They wanted to be able to serve him and feed him and and welcome him into their house. And I don't know about you, but that's just weird to me. I'm thinking, ah, my house is a mess. My house is kind of crazy. My house is kind of chaotic. I'd rather you not come over. But not in, in Jesus' time. It was a great honor. And so Jesus invites himself to come to Zacchaeus' house. And everybody's thinking to themselves, that guy is the biggest sinner. Jesus must have no idea who he has just invited to go to his house. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So there they are at Zacchaeus' house, and at some point in time during the meal, Zacchaeus stands up from the table, and he probably stands taller than he has ever stood in his life, and he repents. He says, Lord, Lord... And we don't know if it's because Jesus said something to him or he's looking and seeing how other people are reacting to Jesus. But something changes in Zacchaeus' life. And this is an absolute miracle. It's a miracle that Zacchaeus, we understand what people go through life. We go through life always looking to uh, honor and protect ourselves, put ourselves in the middle, make us number one. And when someone turns around and repents and says, I'm surrendering my life, I'm giving it all up, as he literally says, and turns around and says, I'm going to leave all that behind and follow Jesus, it is a miracle. I've shared this story before, but uh, many years ago when I was in college, I took a group of college students uh, on a mission trip to Kenya in East Africa. And... uh, for about five weeks we traveled all over Kenya doing evangelism, these open air worship services and teaching and preaching in villages and cities and, and everywhere we went. And towards the end of the trip, I was sitting with a a group of Kenyan pastors as we're having conversation, kind of wrapping up our time together in Kenya. One of the Kenyan pastors looked at me and said, man, it must be so hard to be a Christian and do ministry in America. And I was kind of taken back. I mean, I was 22 and I knew a lot of stuff, right? I knew, I knew all about life and ministry and everything else. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, it must, it must be so difficult to do ministry in America. It must be impossible for someone in America To surrender their life and follow Jesus. And I'm thinking to myself, we just came over here to share Jesus with you and your people and to equip you so that you can be ministers of the gospel to your people. What do you mean? And he looks at me and he says, The gospel demands that we surrender everything to follow Jesus. And you people in America, you have so much, you are so rich. Does anybody follow after Jesus in your country? I mean, it's true. We have so much. And it's difficult because we're self sufficient. We have money. We have possessions. We have good health. We have lots of stuff. By all worldly measures, we have everything we need. And so it's so interesting that someone from Kenya in East Africa would look at our lives and say, man, that must be so difficult for people in your country to follow Jesus. Because in East Africa, they don't have what we have. It's much easier for them to surrender their lives and follow him. And then we think about that time where Jesus was having a conversation with a rich man. Jesus looks at the crowd, he looks at the group, and he says, you know what? It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to experience the kingdom of God. Right? Money and power and comfort and all the things that we have make it really, really difficult. And we should never forget, this is who Zacchaeus was. He was rich, but in that moment, he declares, I'm going to give away half of everything I have and anyone who I have cheated, I'm going to pay them back four times. I mean, this is a shock that somebody so wealthy, someone so powerful turns their life around and says, you know what? I'm going to surrender to Jesus and follow after him. And what he does is he declares his intentions and what he is going to do. See, it's one thing for us here at the beginning of our worship time and to, to acknowledge and to confess before God that we're sinners and broken people, right? I mean, it's really easy for us to say, God, I'm so sorry for the ways in which I've sinned against you. But it's a whole other thing to follow up our words with our action, with our behavior. And this is exactly what Zacchaeus does. And uh, unfortunately for him, he was a tax collector. He was a guy who dealt with spreadsheets and numbers. So he's got a recording. I don't know if they had, you know, TurboTax or uh, whatever they had, uh, QuickBooks, you know, in their day. But he's got a record of all the ways in which he cheated people. And so he can't just kind of make these broad brushstroke statements it's recorded. It's written down. And he says, I'm going, to take this, I'm going to take these spreadsheets and I'm going to give away half of my wealth and four times I'm going to pay back anyone I've cheated. I mean, he's, he's gone on record to say this. I mean, what if I were to, you were to flip over that imaginary piece of paper I gave you this morning and said, "All right, I want you to write down all your sins this week. Okay? And we'd be here for probably an hour at least, right? Writing down, recording our sins. And then then I'll just invite you to go ahead and do something with those sins. Take those sins to the Lord and change your behavior. I mean, this is the level of accountability that Zacchaeus is inviting upon himself. He declares he's sinful. He says, I'm going to change my ways. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So, what Jesus is doing after Zacchaeus makes this announcement that he is a sinner and he's going to do something about his sin, he's going to bring it to Jesus and he's going to change his behavior, he's going to walk in a new direction. Jesus declares absolution. And this is why we, on Sunday morning, when we gather together and we offer our confession, we don't just pray to God saying, God, forgive us. but We always read a passage from Scripture. We always look at our, uh, an absolution, this understanding, this way that God comes to us and meets us and says, I forgive you all your sin, because what if we just were to confess our sin and then not have that assurance that our sin has actually been forgiven? Now, absolution, it's, it's kind of a churchy word an act of absolving, freeing from blame or guilt, release from consequences, obligations, or penalties, a declaration of assurance of divine forgiveness to the penitent believers made after the confession of sins. And so it's just important for us to declare, because this is what Jesus does, is to declare that I've, God says, I've heard your confession, and I promise to wipe your slate clean that assurance and that acknowledgement. And we need to do that regularly because sometimes I have coffee with some of you and you carry around guilt. You carry around shame. And I need to constantly remind you both from the pulpit but then around a cup of coffee as well that when we confess our sins, God promises over and over and over throughout Scripture to hear our confession and he promises to wipe our slate clean. And we forget that so often, and so we need to be reminded regularly and have our sins absolved. And then Jesus declares this, this miracle that's going on. He's declaring that Zacchaeus's heart has changed, that there's a new life, and he's exhibiting new behavior. The story of Zacchaeus proves that a camel truly can pass through the eye of a needle. I mean, it's it is, it's a story of a miracle, because when Jesus talked to the, the 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 folks on that day, and talked about, hey, it's harder for a rich man. They're like, well, who can who can you know make it into the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, with people, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So Zacchaeus comes to faith and a changed life only because of what God has done in his life. And then Jesus also lays out his mission statement. He makes it very clear why he's come to earth. He says, I came to this world to seek and save the lost. And of all the horrible people that were walking around Jericho on that day, Zacchaeus was the lost number one. He was the most despised person around. And Jesus says, I came for him. And I think there's a message there for us as well. Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. That's you and me. And sometimes we think our sin has so separated us from God that God could never forgive us our sin. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter how much you've sinned. It doesn't matter how much you've walked away from me. It doesn't matter how much you've rebelled from me. I still have come for you. And when you repent of your sin, I promise to forgive you, even you. You horrible, wretched sinner of all your sins. And because Jesus has come to seek and save after the lost, that's what we ought to be about too. We shouldn't look at other people as too sinful, too broken, too disgusting, too far from God. We ought to be pursuing those very same people because that's who Jesus went after. He went after the Zacchaeuses of the world. So what is, how do we kind of come back? I just kind of want to bring this to a close. How does Zacchaeus, in this idea of using our gifts, using the blessings God has given to us, how do we kind of reconcile these things? Is Zacchaeus is going this way, meets Jesus, turns around, and he has a transformed life. I think it's this. As Christ followers our lives ought to look different than the world. As Christ followers, we ought to think different than those around us in the world. We should behave different from those around us in the world. The story of Zacchaeus teaches us that whenever a person meets the, Jesus Christ, their life should be different. They should look different. They should act different. I think it's impossible for a person to meet Jesus Christ and keep living their life as they've always lived their life before. Sometimes I'll meet people who will say to me, you know what? Jesus loves me just the way I am. I was going through life. I met Jesus and he loves me just the way I am. I don't need to change. To which I would say, Yes, Jesus does love you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He wants to grow you. He wants you to grow up. He wants to invite you to use your gifts, to make a difference in the world, to make his love known. I think oftentimes one of the great dangers those of us who've been around the church, and I think maybe even the longer we've been in the church or following Jesus, as we grow complacent and lazy, we just think, ah, I don't really need to grow, to change, to develop. I'm just going to keep doing what I've always done. The great theologian uh, from the 20th century, German theologian, pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, called this cheap grace that we just receive what God has given to us and we just keep moving on with our lives. That would be like Zacchaeus meeting Jesus on that day and just keep doing what he did. Bonhoeffer writes this, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. See, when we meet Jesus Christ in our lives, and we need to meet him every single day, he does something to us. He changes us. He challenges us to live a different way, a different way than how the world lives. Not for ourselves, but to glorify And honor God. And there's so much commitment and sacrifice in being a follower of Jesus. When people say to me, God just loves me the way I am, I visualize a baby. I visualize a baby sitting in a dirty diaper. It's warm, it's comfortable, but it's stinky. And it's dirty, right? I mean, you ever seen a baby sitting in a dirty diaper and there's a big old smile on their face? I mean, it's awesome sitting in a dirty diaper, right? I mean, that's what I think of when I hear a Christian say, God loves me just the way I am. And I, I just want to say, you are a baby in a dirty diaper. And if you've ever cleaned a diaper, a dirty diaper with a baby, I mean, they, they kind of protest, right? They yell and scream and they don't like their bottom cleaned. Ah, no, I like my dirty diaper. It was so warm. It was so cushiony. It was so soft. But once you get them cleaned up, you get a new diaper on them. They're clean. I think in many ways, this is what Jesus is inviting us to do, is to get rid of our dirty diapers, those things that are comfortable in our lives, those things that just help us to go through life feeling so good about ourselves to get cleaned up, to surrender our lives like Zacchaeus. So that when we get to heaven, when you and I get to heaven, we're asking those three questions and someone comes up to you and says, hey, did you ever talk to so-and-so about Jesus? You can say, yep, I did. I used my gift to share with them about Jesus. I used my blessings to share with them about Jesus. And if they're in heaven today, it's not because you or I were silent and didn't use our gifts. This is why it's so important that we're using our gifts in this life. Not only for us to grow as individuals, but so that others can know Jesus. Jesus loves you just the way you are. Make no mistake about it. But he loves you too much to leave you in that place. He invites us to discover our gifts and to grow and develop and share with others who don't know him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this familiar story. This story about... um, a man who experienced your grace, your love, and had his life radically transformed. And God, I want that to be my story today, and tomorrow, and the next day. God, I pray that that might be all of our story, that we are so moved, so touched, by your grace, by your love and your forgiveness in our lives. We can't help but surrender everything we have and just move out into the world and share you with everyone we meet. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.